Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Well, good evening, 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can be seated. And I want to echo what Brother Derek said, and thank you for being here tonight and dealing with the B team. Amen. Pray for our pastor as he's gone. And 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll read the first six verses together. I'll begin reading as you find your place and follow along in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll start in verse 1. Paul writes, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that are believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. Then he tells Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Father, we love you. I pray that you'd use our word, your word to change our hearts tonight. God, would you please bless our pastors? He preaches the remainder of this week and travels back. All right, but God, would you send your spirit to open our hearts and speak to us tonight and be with the service. In your name we pray, amen. I think contentment is often such an overlooked virtue in Christianity. We tack it on with uh, kindness and patience, right? Those are things we need to work on, but not right now. We all feel that way. We all know we could be more patient, but how many of us are really doing things to be more patient? We all know we could be a little more kind to people that we meet, but it's not always a priority because doesn't feel like a bad sin. And I think contentment falls right in with that list. That everyone here, we understand we could be more content. But it's not important. It's such an overlooked Christian virtue. And so many of us misunderstand contentment. Especially those outside this room. People in the world, it's, it's such a struggle to know what it is. And I think a lot of times I've been guilty of a wrong definition. We need to understand that when Paul writes about contentment, he's not talking about wealth or great status in our workplace, or in our families, or in the circles of our community where we live. Paul's not talking about great circumstances or great health. He's not talking about privileges and pleasures that we get to experience in this world, or even those experiences that bring what feels like pure, ultimate joy. That's not what Paul's writing about. And many times that's our understanding of contentment. I'm content when I have everything I want, when I'm in the place that I want to be, when I'm doing the things that I want to do with the people that I want to do it with. That's contentment, when I'm happy with everything. And what we'll find tonight is that Paul's definition is totally different. I think the reason those things don't equal contentment is because we're always distracted. I'll never forget on me and my wife's honeymoon, we went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And if you've ever been there, there's a really well-known area called the Roaring Fork Motor Trail. And it's a one-lane road, it's about 10 miles long, and it loops through the mountains. And just the most beautiful views, there's pull-offs where you stop and look at the mountains. You go a little farther and you pull off and stop and look. 
And we went in the evening time, and it was probably 70 degrees. The sun was shining. Sun was going down over the mountains. I was with my brand new bride that I could finally kiss anytime I wanted to. There was nothing else in the world that could be better. And sometimes you would look at that and you say, Brother Evan, you were content in that moment. Everything was right. And I probably would have said, yeah, I'm content. And we pulled up to a stop where you could see the mountains and the sun was setting right into the crack of two mountains and we thought it would be worth stopping at. And we pull in there and we park next to a brand new 2022 Dodge Ram 3500 with the Cummins, Laramie Limited, leveled in the front, 35-inch trail graphs. And if that means nothing to you, that's okay. But to a boy from the south, when I see that truck, that's temptation. Right? And all of a sudden, my perfect world, this bubble I lived in, was gone. My new bride was not on my mind. The perfect place we were in was not on my mind. But the only thing on my mind was, you know what would make this better? <laughs> Is if I was driving that. And that's a funny story. At least I think it's a funny story. But that's where we live. Just at the time where we say, I have everything I could want and my life is good, we see something else. We see something over here. Our attention is constantly drawn. Circumstances don't equal contentment because not only do we always want new things, but we're always at the risk of losing the things we have. And many times we hear that, and you know, my first thought is that only happens to Job, right? Job's the only one who's ever lost it all. And that's true that Job's situation is unique, but we need to understand that the world we live in, we're it's constantly tearing at the things that make us happy. We live in a world cursed by sin and full of loss. And people move on. And economies change. And circumstances are always changing and shifting. Burns puts it like this. He says, in a thousand points we are vulnerable. To a thousand diseases we are exposed. And a thousand events of loss may arise to distract and distress us from things that satisfy. So a foundation of contentment that's built on the things that we get and the things that we experience is faulty. Why? Because those things are not permanent. Because those things are not with us forever. And because we ultimately have no control, no matter how much sometimes we feel like we do, we have no control over the coming and going of those things in our lives. Godliness with contentment is the answer to all of this. And that's what Paul's teaching tonight, and that's what we'll continue. You see, the tandem of godliness and contentment together cannot be overemphasized in this verse. Many times in my life I've been guilty of reading across this passage and thinking to work on being more content, which is not a bad thing to take away from the Scripture. It's never bad to try to be more content, but the reason Paul puts godliness with contentment is very important. I think getting into that and understanding how godliness and contentment cannot be had apart from each other and how God uses them to build one another in our lives and in our hearts will change my understanding and change your understanding of contentment. You see, if Paul had just taught contentment without godliness, he would be no different than many other teachers in his day. History tells us of a man named Seneca the Younger. He was a philosopher, a Roman philosopher who lived at the same time Paul did. And he wrote, it is not the man who has too little, but the man who craves more, who is truly poor. 
It's a good quote, right? That's contentment. Seneca is also noted for saying, religion is regarded by the common people as true, wise people as false, and rulers as useful. That's not a good quote. So if Paul just taught contentment, he would ring the same bell that philosophers of his day wrote. Socrates, who lived just a few years before Paul, was known to walk through the streets of Athens, look around, and what did he say? How many things there are which I can do without. So the people of that day, Paul was not exclusive in teaching contentment. He was not the only one telling people to be happy with what you have. But here's what sets Paul apart. And as Paul's words would be penned into your Bible today, here's what sets our scripture apart. That God does not ask us to be content in our own selves. And God does not drive us to be happy on our own and find satisfaction and force ourselves to be content and be happy with what we have and just focus on what we have. No, Paul would be no different than those men. But instead he tells us that godliness with contentment, that's great gain. Godliness with contentment is when our lives become to change. When we have godliness and contentment, they build each other and they make a difference in us. Paul understood that true godliness and contentment can never be had apart from each other. A scriptural definition of godliness, it's funny, our pastor said it on Sunday. I don't know if you caught it. He said, simply, godliness is being like God. And it is. First, to be godly, we must have a saving knowledge of God. Paul wrote in Titus that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. The only way for anyone to be godly is first to know God. And I know on a Wednesday night crowd that I would hope everyone in here can remember a time and a place where they've accepted Christ as their Savior. But that is the first step of godliness. Without salvation, without an experience where you met Jesus personally, not heard about him, but invited him into your heart and let him wash away your sins and ask for his forgiveness. That's the start of godliness. The grace of God that saves us is the same grace that makes us godly. Not only salvation and a knowledge of God, but the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If godliness is to be like God, and the, what are the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Love, we know God is love. Peace, he's the prince of peace. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, we know God is good. Meekness, temperance, how many times has God been long-suffering with you? So if we were to be like God, and the Bible tells us those fruits of the Spirit are all characteristics that God has, then the leading of the Holy Spirit and living out the fruits of the Holy Spirit and being empty of ourselves and filled with His power is godliness. It's to be more like God. Along that same vein, conformity to the will of God is godliness. Us throwing up our hands and allowing God to make the plan for our day, allowing God to make the plan for our life. How do we know that it's godly to do that? Because Jesus Himself did that. He said in Matthew chapter 6 in his prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Matthew 26, he went away and again the second time and prayed. This is Jesus saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking. He says, And he that sent me is with me. The father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things which please the father. And place after place in the gospel records, we can find Jesus yielding to his own plan, yielding to his own desire, and laying down his life ultimately 
Why? For the will of God. To follow the plan of God. Godliness is knowing Christ. Godliness is being led by the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus' example shows us, godliness is laying down our own will and deciding to live within God's. Lastly, godliness is devotedness to his service and to his glory. We can once again use Christ as the standard for this. In Luke chapter 2, And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Jesus wasn't on his own plan. Mark 10, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's a lot of scriptures in the last few minutes. I know it all gets busy and blends together. But from all that, we should be able to gather that Jesus Christ did not come here for himself. Jesus Christ came here to follow the will of the Father, to lay down his life, to be a servant. And none of those things are fun. But that was godliness, and that is godliness. Many places in Paul's letters, I counted 16 of them, and I will not list them because that would get kind of long. Paul calls the church and the servants of the church to serve the Lord, to serve his church, and to serve the lost world around us. To be godly, scripturally, is to live in pursuit, not of our own needs, but the plan and the glory of God. And I know what that means in my life. I know what it looks like for me to not chase after those things that my flesh would want. To not pursue after those things that are tempting to me or catch my eyes. But I don't know what that's like for you. I don't know where you live. I don't know what your day is. But you do. And with the Holy Spirit's help tonight, I hope you'd identify those things that we chase and that we're so prone to pursue after. That have no bearing on eternity. That don't lead us into the will of God, that don't make us to be more godly. And I know those things for me, and you know those things for you. So if godliness with contentment is great gain, first, we must be godly. The true nature of contentment, on the other hand, is, like we said in the beginning, is not grounded upon what we have. It's not grounded upon our surroundings. And I feel like I went on too long talking about what it's not grounded on. So what is contentment built on? First, it's the perfection of God's character. You see, when I believe that I serve and am loved by a perfect God, I can trust him to have his way in my life. If you are fully persuaded in your heart that God is love, that God has the best in mind for you, that God works all things for the good of us to bring glory to his name, And if we're truly convinced of that, that contentment does not come from confusion about what happens to us, but contentment comes from trust that whatever is happening is God's plan and it's God's way. And that we serve a perfect God who would not fault us and would not wrong us, but rather makes everything in our lives to happen for one reason, and that's for his good and for his glory. The perfect character of our God. Contentment's also grounded upon the supremeness of God's authority. If we're truly convinced that God is in control of everything that happens in our lives and in this world, then there's no reason to worry about the circumstances we find ourselves in. And if we're truly persuaded that God is sovereign over every government, that God is sovereign over every party, over every lobbyist group, over everyone who we feel like has 
influence and bearing and control on our lives from way higher than we can reach, if we truly believe God is sovereign over those people and over those groups, then it's easy to be content where he has us. Why? Because the heart of the king is in the Lord's hand. And we can trust his sovereignty over all these things in our lives. Not only on the perfection of God's character is contentment grounded, and not only on the sovereignty of God's authority, but the sufficiency of God's provision. We know that God provides everything he needs. How do we know? In Philippians 4, God promises that. Paul writes, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. So if you feel like we don't have something that we need, well, that can't be true because God supplied all our needs. And here's where things get rough for the American church. Is that many times our lack of contentment does not come from needs we're missing. It comes from wants. We're not content because we don't have what we need. We're not content because we don't have what we want. Ultimately, we aren't, like I said, we're not content because we don't have a car like me, but because we don't have a newer one, right? We're not content that we don't have a place to call home, but because we don't get to leave it twice a year on an elaborate vacation. Teenagers, we're not content because we don't have shoes, but because we missed the Nike drop and we don't have enough money to get them on StockX, right? If you don't know what that means, ask these guys after church. They'll gladly explain it to you. But that's where we're at. It's not that we don't have our needs, but that we don't have our wants. You see, Paul could write in Philippians chapter 4 that he was content in any state because Paul did not trouble himself with the affairs of this world. Paul didn't entangle himself with worldly desires and personal aspirations and things to look for and look to around him. But Paul writes throughout the New Testament that his desire was to know Christ, for the churches to grow and know God's love, to spend time investing in those that he had led to Christ, and to ultimately be with God forever. All these things are written in Paul's epistle that his great desire is first to know Christ and to make him known. Paul writes at almost the beginning of almost every epistle, what's he say? I long to come unto you. He writes these churches and he says, everything in me wants to be with you. I want to be where you are. I want to help you grow. I want to be there at the church. And then finally he says that he's torn by a desire to stay and minister or to depart and be with God in heaven. The desires that Paul struggled with on the inside were very, very different than the things that we struggle with. And the things that Paul writes that he wants or wishes were in his life look nothing like the things that most of us wish we had or the way it was for us. Why? This is where godliness comes in. You see, because Paul was living godly and because Paul had his mind and his heart and his affection set on heaven and because his desire and all his strength and all his effort and all his thoughts and the life that he lived was devoted to God and his work, Contentment followed right after that. And that's the crux of this verse. It's a simple thing. It's not going to take us all night. But that's what it boils down to. That as we live godly, we will be content. Why? Because as we live godly, what does Paul say in verse 5 that we read at the very beginning? Talking about these perverse men, he says, supposing that gain is godliness. 
We won't be content as we follow God because God gives us everything we want. Contentment doesn't come as we live for God because all of a sudden our hearts change and all we want is everything that we already have. No, 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 no. Paul writes that contentment comes with godliness because God changes our desires to the things he's already given us. Paul's desire was to minister. Is that your desire? Paul's heart was to be with the people at the church that God placed him in and that he loved. Is that your desire? Paul's greatest need was to know Christ, what did he say? In the fellowship of his sufferings. That's not on my prayer list. But that's where contentment and godliness meet. Is when our desires for our lives line up with God's desires for our lives. And when the aspirations that we have and the things that we want to build and the places we want to go and the things that we want to do and the legacy we want to leave lines up with God's work, that's and only then when we can be content. Paul was content because he was godly. And Paul could only be godly because he was content. Paul tells us at the end of the verse, godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. What is Paul gaining? What do we gain by godliness and contentment working together in our lives? First, we get peace on the inside. You see, when I know that the things I'm striving for, the things that God would like me to strive for, and when I know that I'm content with what God's given me and I trust him to give me what I need, then I don't have to worry about the future because God's leading me. I don't have to worry about money or about necessities or about provision. Why? Because God has promised to provide for me. I don't have to worry what's going to satisfy me and having it slip through my fingers because the satisfaction of a relationship with Almighty God can never be taken away. We can't lose that. Your walk with God is not subject to your family in those relationships. You understand the closeness you have with our Heavenly Father does not rise and fall with our economy. But a walk with God is the one thing we can possess in this life that nothing can take away. It doesn't fall through your fingers. It's not easily lost. And just like all these other things we talked about at the beginning that give contentment and then they're not satisfying anymore. And we pick it up and we finally get what we wanted. And just a few months later, it doesn't mean anything. No, no, no. A walk with God will never be like that. Why? Because we serve and know and love a God who's ever satisfying. He's ever satisfying. How do we know? Read the Psalms. Listen to what David said after walking with God for years and years and years. Thy loving kindness is better than life. The more he knew God, the more he walked with God, he realized that that relationship and knowing God was better than all the other things about his being put together. And that's not a place we come to in one day. It's not a place we come to in one year. But as we walk and grow and live this life with God, we'll find ourselves one day turned around realizing that not only was God's relationship and God's revealings of his word in our heart was it the best part of our lives, it was better than all the rest of our lives put together. And that's a source of contentment because no one can take that away. Not only do we gain internal peace, but as we have godliness and contentment working together in our hearts, the Bible tells us we gain heavenly rewards for a life lived to please God. 
all the awards given in heaven and the crowns that we'll receive and have the ability to give back at Jesus' feet and praise to him, those don't come from any other life except a godly life lived for the glory of God. There's no crowns for the biggest Roth IRA. There's no award in heaven for the largest savings account or the best relationship with family. Not that any of those things are bad. But the crowns we receive in heaven that will be our way to honor and thank our God are given for lives lived spiritually. They're given for those of us and those Christians who've gone before us who place an emphasis on godliness over worldliness. And who chose a biblical definition of contentment. Not just to be happy with what I already have, but to be happy in a God who's given me all that I already have. Those are the ones who receive the crowns not for us, we don't receive crowns for us, but to give praise and glory to our Savior as we cast them back at his feet. We gain satisfaction of pleasing our Heavenly Father on earth. There's no one who has more peace when they lay their head on their pillow at night than know, those who know they did the best that they could to please God that day. And has anyone ever lived a day 100% pleasing to God? Of course not. I know me and you know you, so we know that doesn't happen, Right? Most of the time, I, I mess up about 10 times before lunch. And that's, God knows that about us. But those who strive with the Spirit's help to live godly, at the end of the day, we gain that satisfaction that no toys, that no money, that nothing else in this world can buy. We gain freedom of the constant lust for more. And that's the big one is that by gaining contentment through godliness, we're no longer bound by those chains of our flesh that are always pulling at us to get something else, to go somewhere else, to do something else. My generation, what do we call it? FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. And with godly contentment, there's none of that. We gain the satisfaction of knowing that God's leading us to the place we should be, God is directing our relationships with the people he's placed in our lives. God is guiding us towards those who need him, who are ready to hear about him, who his spirit's been working in their heart, and they're ready to receive Christ. We can trust that God is leading us to those people. He's going to open the doors. And that is satisfaction that only godliness with contentment put together brings. The only true satisfaction to be had in this life will come from the tandem of godliness and contentment. So church, I ask myself and I ask you, are you godly? Does Christ live in your heart first? Does the Holy Spirit direct your moves? Do you live yielded to his will? Is God's plan your plan? Do we think about building our lives or building his kingdom? Are we godly? Individually, are we godly in our lives? When God looks at us as a whole church, are we a godly church? The things we do here and the way we act towards each other here, are they pleasing to him? Are they according to his plan? Do we strive only for his glory or do we lift up our own names? These are hard questions. These are important questions. Am I godly? Does Christ look at my life and not say that I'm perfect or not say that you're everything you should be, but that we're trying to line up with him, that we're yielding our hearts to be more like him. Are we godly? 
And are we content? Do we trust that God's given us everything in this life that we need? And anything we don't have, God does not want us to have. Do we trust that God's hand will provide all of our needs and all of our wants should be yielded to his? Do we accept that many of the things we want but don't have, that's because they would only lead us farther from knowing Christ? If we got those toys, if we got those vacations, and I don't know what it is. I'm listing things that are silly and in your mind, you know what God's placing. But do we, do we constantly think and yearn and desire for those things to the point that our focus is so far from God, we're not in tune with Him? Are we content? Do we accept God's authority over everything that happens in our lives? Are we the kind of people who question? We get angry, we point the finger at God. I hope I'm not. I hope you're not. But we accept that God's sovereign authority has brought my life and he's brought your life exactly to the point that it's at for, for my good, for your good, for his glory. Bring praise unto his name. Church, just like Evan on his honeymoon, it's so easy to jerk your head every which way at every distraction. And I know because I live that, and you know because you live that. But, if we're to please God, it takes Christian discipline to yield our spirit to Him and allow Him to change our wants, change our desires, not to make us robots, not to take away our personality, but rather to bring us in line with the plan and the purpose that He has for this earth, that He has for this church. He has for our lives and our families and our relationships. That's contentment. That's where contentment comes. When we say, God wants it for me, I want it for me, there's nothing else that I want for me. Amen?